Are you happy to be in the house of the Lord? God is so good, so good to us. Well, I invite you to <clears throat> open your Bibles with me today, the book of Exodus, chapter 32. And we began a series last week called Don't Compromise. I want to welcome all of you here today, all of you joining us online. And what I want to do today is uh, just kind of give you a recap before we get to going really uh, in-depth on today. We, uh, I shared a little bit with you last week on the compromise that Aaron made uh, when Moses was up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments. And uh, what I want to do today is I actually want to read that whole chapter. But to give you kind of a preview of what we have already looked at, I gave you uh, three things that God's people need in order to not compromise. And the first thing I said is you need a spiritual leader who will not compromise the truth. We find Aaron compromising truth. Uh, you need a spiritual leader who will pray selflessly, secondly, and you need a spiritual leader who will exercise necessary spiritual discipline when necessary. And I, w- I began giving you some ways in which it's, it's unbelievable, but Aaron was uh, the brother of Moses. I mean, he's a high priest. He's the one that God is speaking through. So he's someone close to God, and it, it amazes me uh, or never ceases to amaze me how often people that are even close to God, the devil can get to. And so I began to share with you some things that happen and how spiritual compromise happens. And I shared with you last week, first of all, the spiritual compromise happens when we begin to view salvation, okay, your walk with God. If you view it as a human endeavor instead of a spiritual endeavor, instead of an endeavor that is an act of God, then you get your eyes on man and get them off of God. And that's what happened when the people said, Moses, who brought us out of Egypt? Well, it wasn't Moses. It was Moses in the physical realm, but you can see where their eyes were. Their eyes weren't in the spiritual. It was in the physical. Moses may have done that physically, but it was God who did that after 400 and some years of bondage. And it's God, just like the children of Israel in Egypt, it's very, it's, it's equal to salvation. Israel was saved from slavery. When you get saved, you're saved out of sin, which is slavery. You see what I'm saying? And so when you get your eyes on a man or you get your eyes on a pastor or a a teacher and you get them off of God, uh, there's danger there. Amen? And secondly, I said that spiritual compromise can happen even with leaders who should know better. Aaron should have known better. And we looked at that. We're going to look at a little bit more. The third thing, as I shared, is that spiritual compromise happens when you become impatient on waiting on God. And that's what happened to the children of Israel. They're waiting. Well, where is Moses? He's not here. He's gone. He's been gone for a while now. Well, he winds up, he was gone for 40 days. I mean, goodness, if you can't wait 40 days. And I shared with you the word for, or the number 40 last week. I shared with you that that number, if you'll go through Scripture, I said this would be a very good exercise to do. Find out all the places in the Bible that talks about 40, and you'll find there's a test. Because the number 40 is the number of test the number of being tested. Jesus was in the, in the wilderness 40 days, 40 nights. Uh, it rained on the ark when it was 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, Moses was up on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So it's a, good, it's a good teaching. And then the fourth thing that I shared with you is that 
compromise happens when leaders want to please people rather than God. Well, I'm telling you, that can be challenging. As a human being, you want everybody happy. Parents, you want your kids happy. Amen? How many of you, don't raise your hand, but how many of you have ever been tempted to compromise on a standard for your child? Because you love them. Now, here's the deal. And this is, we're, we're coming into the season of love, right? Valentine's and on and on. But man, love is not understood. It, it, it really is not just about mushy-gushy, lovey-dovey feelings. How many of you believe Jesus loved everybody? Do you ever read where Jesus called people whitewashed tombs and a brood of vipers? Did he love them? Yes, he did. But he confronted sin, and he is uncompromising when it comes to sin. He doesn't wink at it. And uh, just like a child would go into a restaurant or a store, I know somebody that this happened to as a little kid, after going into a Cracker Barrel with their family, took gum unbeknownst to the parent, and when they were in the car were chewing gum, well, the parent knew that this child didn't have gum, the parent didn't have gum, but this child had gum. Ask the child, where did you get the gum? Well, they got it in there at the store. Did you pay for it? No, I didn't pay for it. Marched the child back in, told them what they did, gave the gum to the owner. This is what they said. Oh, no, no, that's okay. And the parent was like, oh, no, it's not. Thank you for being kind, but this is not, this is, we're teaching this, our child a principle here. Amen? That has nothing to do with Lauren at all. So if you guys are thinking that, that's not Lauren. It's not even my kids. It's just a family that I know. Now, was that unloving or was that loving? It was loving because you showed the person, that child, right from wrong. Are you ready? Now, I've given you four ways that spiritual compromise can happen. Let me give you a fifth way. Spiritual compromise happens when you want a safer, user-friendly God who will work for you. That's what the children of Israel wanted. See, they, they encountered God with Moses up on a mountain prior to all of this. And they see mountain, uh, Moses is up on this mountain. This is prior to getting the Ten Commandments. And Moses is up on the mountain, and they see fire, and they see smoke, and, and it's rumbling, and there's earthquakes, and there's lightnings, and there's trumpet sounds, and they're like scared. They're afraid. And it was just downright scary. But listen, you cannot negotiate with or manipulate a God like that to get what you want. You cannot work out better terms for your covenant. You know, where things are just a little more easy. 
You know, God, you're just being a little too strict here. We live in a nation today who thinks that the works of God, the, the laws of God, some of the laws of God are just too strict. Can I hear an amen? No, they're not. They're there for our good. They're there for our protection. They're there for our, because God loves us. He loves us enough to show us right from wrong. This is what the theologian R.C. Sproul says about this occasion that we're about to read about. I'm going to get there. But he says this, that the cow gave no law and demanded no obedience. It had no wrath, no justice, no holiness to be feared. It was deaf, it was mute, and it was impotent. had no power. But at least it could not intrude on their fun and enjoyment. Are you at Exodus 32? I gave you a while to get there. Look at verse 1. Now I'm going to read this out of the New American Standard Bible. This is the 1977 version, so it may read even a little bit different than some of the newer New American Standard translations. The Bible says this. It's okay to read a chapter in the book. In the, in, in the Bible on a Sunday morning, isn't it? Okay, that's what we're going to do. Now, when the people saw, verse 1, that Moses delayed, everybody say delayed, to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, here it is, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he took this from their hand and fashioned it, say fashioned, with a graving tool. And made it, say made it, into a molding calf. And they said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Everybody say, Aaron built an altar. Keep all those things in your mind. So the next day, verse 6 says, They arose early and suffered, or offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, go down at once for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now then, let me alone that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them, and I will make you, of you, a great nation. Then Moses entreated the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why doth thine anger burn against thy people whom thou hast brought up from the land of Egypt? Did you catch that? With great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, with evil intent, He brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth. Turn from thy burning anger and change thy mind about doing harm to thy people. 
Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants to whom thou didst swear by thyself, and didst say to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens, and all this land of which I have given, I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to this people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony. Everybody say the Ten Commandments. In his hand, tablets, which were written on both sides. They were written on one side and the other, and the tablets were God's work. And the writing was God's writing, engraved on the tablets. Now when Joshua heard the sound of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a sound of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the sound of the cry of triumph, nor is it the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. And it came about as soon as Moses came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger burned, and he threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf which they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it over the surface of the water and made the sons of Israel drink it. Then Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you? that you have brought such great sin upon them. Notice, he's not blaming them. He's blaming the leader. And Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord burn. You know the people yourself, that they're prone to evil. Man, that reminds me of Eve. Reminds me of Adam. Not my fault, it's their fault. You know they're just prone to evil. For they said to me, Make a God for us who will go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, Whoever has any gold, let them tear it off. So they gave it to me. Now look at this. And I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Doesn't that sound like a little kid trying to get a big one over on you? Now when Moses saw that the people were out of control... That is so important. That literally means that they were let loose. For Aaron had let them get out of control to be a derision among their enemies, that Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered together to him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Every man of you put his sword upon his thigh and go back and forth from gate to gate in the camp and kill every man his brother, and every man his friend, and every man his neighbor. Wow. Are y'all catching this? Verse 28. So the sons of Levi did as Moses instructed, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Then Moses said, Dedicate yourselves today to the Lord, For every man has been against his son and against his brother in order that you may bestow a blessing upon you today. Now, I want to stop there for just a second because that can be a little bit hard to understand for some folks. Why would they do that? Notice this. Moses, in verse 26, specifically stood in the gate, specifically said, whoever is for the Lord, come over here. 
That's like living life on earth and having the opportunity to get saved. And you respond to it and go over on Moses' side. Or you don't respond to it and you don't move from where you are. How many of you know that sin, the wages of it, is death? We're seeing it worked out in the natural right here. They would not repent. I want us to understand that there. Are you with me? Verse 29 says, Then Moses said, Dedicate yourselves to the Lord. Mark that in your Bibles. Dedicate yourselves to the Lord. Today, for every man has been against his son and against his brother in order that he may bestow a blessing upon you today. And it came about on the next day that Moses said to the people, you yourselves have committed a great sin. And now I'm going to go up to the Lord and perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, this people has committed a great sin and they have made a God of gold for themselves. But now if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, please blot me out from thy book, which thou hast written. And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. But go now, lead the people where I told you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I punish, I will punish them for their sin. And verse 35 says, Then the Lord smote the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron had made. The golden calf was a more user-friendly God. You can use a God like that to get what you want. If he doesn't come through, then you set him aside and you get another God. And sooner or later, you'll find one you like. That's what the Romans did. That's what the Greeks did. We know this because when Paul was in Athens, he goes in and he sees all these gods. And there's one that says to the unknown God, and that's where he begins to preach. He said, what you worship in ignorance, I serve in knowledge. I know who this, I know who this God is. He's the one who made the world. He's the God of gods. Jesus is the King of kings, amen? And so I just want you to know that a lot of times where people are is when you aren't happy with God as he has revealed himself in Scripture, what people try to do is make a more user-friendly God that will help you in compromising your true faith. That's really is what is going on. I don't know any other way to say it. That's the fifth way. The sixth way that spiritual compromise happens, are you walking with me on this? When you excuse your sin and you don't accept responsibility for it. Did you see this happening here? I mean, he is excusing his sin. The people are excusing their sin. And verse 4 reports just exactly how Aaron took the gold earrings from the people. I told you to remember it. He fashioned it. The Bible says he 
used a graving tool, and he made a molten calf. But when Moses directly confronted him, in verse 24, this is what Aaron lamely replies, I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them tear it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. I mean, he makes it sound as if he just threw that gold into the fire and a miracle of transformation took place. Out came this carefully crafted calf. And it is like the arguments for evolution, in spite of the fact of the human body that it is so obviously intricately designed, nobody actually formed it, according to evolution. And how are we supposed to take that? How are we supposed to take evolution? I'm asking a true question here. The very same way you are to believe that God created the world, you're to take that by faith. Nobody was there. Who was around five billion years ago, or however many it is that they say it is? Nobody. Yet we have words straight from God's mouth. I was sharing with the discipleship class today, in John chapter 19, and where, what verse? Verse 35. You need to mark that if you ever begin to doubt that Jesus Christ died and rose again. Because John himself says there in that verse, he says that I saw it with my own eyes, I testify to it, and I know I'm not lying, that Jesus Christ died on the cross and he did rise again. This is the way it happened. Because you see, what happens a lot of time is when some of you, you're praying to God and your prayers don't get answered immediately. You pray to God and your prayers haven't been answered for two years. You pray to God and your prayers haven't been answered for 10 years. You pray to God and your prayers haven't been answered. It's now 25 years. Join the croup. Abraham had to wait that long for his baby. But God came through. See, God didn't say when it was going to happen. He just said, Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. And through his children, he was. And so what I'm saying to you today is that God's ways are yes and amen. And sometimes when he delays, just like Moses did from the mountain, a lot of times the people of God play. When, when God delays, the children play. But I don't want to be guilty of that. I don't want you to be guilty of that. I want us to stand up and say, God, I believe you. Whether I see it today or whether I don't see it next year, I am still not going to walk away. And church, listen, ever since Adam and Eve have sinned, sinners have tried to pass off the blame for their sin on others. Well, I'm this way because of my mom and dad. You know what? You need to get off of that argument. You are the way you are because of you right now. You have made a choice. Here's the deal. Mom and dad might not have done you right. Mom and dad might not have. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it's time to let mom and dad be forgiven. Well, I'm this way because my wife is this way. I'm this way because my husband treats me this way. No, it's time to take personal responsibility and say, you know what? This is the way I am because I am choosing to be this way. If you live angry, you're choosing to live that way. You have the option to not live angry. You have the option to live happy. You have the option to live joyful. It doesn't mean that everything in life is going to be happy. Listen, happy is, is determined on happenings. I can be joyful and my happenings not be happy and not necessarily be, you know, happy. But God did not call us just to live life as happy people. 
is there anybody in here what I'm saying? I can be ha- I can be joyful and not have happy happenings around me because the joy of the Lord is my strength. And the devil wants to steal my joy. And when he comes in and he can steal your joy, he can take you wherever he wants to take you. Even as a Christian. Listen, we see this in Aaron. Man, I'm not upset with anybody. I'm just passionate about what I'm saying. I'm upset with the devil if I'm upset with anybody. Because I, I, he's the one that's pulling the wool over people's eyes. He's the, he's the sheep, the wolf in sheep's clothing. I mean, what happened? Adam blamed Eve. What did Eve do? Eve blamed the serpent. Serpent had already blamed God. He wanted to be like God. Amen? Aaron's like, hey, I'm just an innocent bystander. When this cat popped out of the oven, what could I do? Say this with me. Sin is a brat that nobody's willing to own. And the last reason spiritual compromise can happen is when you refuse to submit to God's ways. And that's what we're seeing all over America, all over the world. When people don't want to submit to God's ways, compromise. Everybody say this, not going to do it. Not going to do it. So, God tells Moses this in verse 9. He says, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Everybody say stiff-necked. That's what the word obstinate means. King James literally says they are a stiff-necked people. Now, that's what this, this is what that's like. It's like a stubborn animal that refuses to submit to that yoke. It stiffens its neck. It stiffens its neck. Stiff-necked people refuse to submit to the Lord and His ways with them. They think that their ways are right and everyone else, including God, is wrong. And Israel's stiff necks are seen in their repeated grumbling against the Lord. You keep seeing this over the 40 years. Their necks stiffen again, stiffen again, stiffen again. And God knows it's going to happen. That's why he says, I'll just take them and wipe them out. Now, you're especially vulnerable to spiritual compromise when the Lord's way with you, hear this, when the Lord's way with you involves trials. Do you all remember what Jesus said in this world we will have? In this world, you're going to have tribulation. But, there it is again, be of good cheer. Why should I be cheerful, Lord? Because I've overcome the world. So everything that you've gone through or are going to go through, I'm going to power you. I'm going to empower you to do it. The Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord God brings them out of a few of them. No way, I think I misquoted that. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord will bring you out of some of them. Most of them. What does the Bible say? He will bring you through them all. So, in order to avoid spiritual compromise, God's people need strong leaders who 
they're going to tell you the truth, number one, we looked at last week. And secondly, you need a spiritual leader that will pray selflessly for God's glory through his people. God told Moses in verse 10, he says, Now let me alone that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them and I will make of you a great nation. But notice what he says, what Moses says in verse 14. It drives Moses to pray. He knows God's fixing to begin to move in a way that as a pastor, as a shepherd, he doesn't want. And he, in verse 14, he, the Bible, he, he asked the Lord to change his mind. In verse 14, it says, so the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. Because the pastor prayed, because Moses prayed, because the leader prayed. In ways we cannot understand. I don't fully understand it. Some of the things I read, I don't fully comprehend. But what I read is that God used the prayers of this man to accomplish his sovereign will. And to be strong leaders, to get compromised people back on track, every pastor needs to pray like Moses prayed. In verse 7... The Lord tells Moses, go down at once for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. The first thing that Moses began to do is he prayed that God would be exalted. I want you to notice this because God says these are the people that you brought up out of. That's what the people were saying. But notice what he says. He says, Lord, the people that you brought up, verse 11, O Lord, why doth thine anger burden against thy people whom thou hast brought up from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? He said, he goes on to to, to base his prayer on God's reputation with the Egyptians. He says, in effect, if you destroy your people, Father, you're going to look bad to the Egyptians that we just left. In other words, Moses prayed that God's person would be exalted through this. See, his glory was what was on his heart. God's reputation was what was on the line in his mind. So God's glory should drive our prayers, especially when we're concerned about his people who have fallen into sin or compromise with the world. Right now, anybody that has walked away from God in America, God wants you back. God wants them back, and God wants us praying for them to come back. You see, when Christian marriages are in trouble, pray for healing, not just so everyone will be happy, but so God will be exalted. Amen? Secondly, strong leaders pray that God's promises will come to pass. You see, in verse 13, Moses reminds God of his covenant promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Israel, or Jacob, and he says, you know, Lord, these are your servants who you swore to by yourself, and you said you would multiply those descendants. And he, he brings his word back up to him. The Bible says to remind God of his word. Put him in remembrance. Not that he forgets, but he wants us in agreement with him. Amen? If any two of us will agree as to touching God about anything that we should ask, we know that we're going to receive that thing from God because we're in agreement. You see, we need to be careful to interpret God's promises in their context and in the light of the full revelation to interpret, you know, of of Scripture. And we need to to remember that God, just because God promised something, 
doesn't mean we don't have a part in bringing it to pass. How many of you know God promised that to Abraham, but how many of you know he would still have had to have relations with his wife? I mean, you're not going to get a baby any other way. God's not just going to drop him out of heaven. How many understand? You've got to, uh, there's a part that you've got to do. And then the third thing is strong leaders pray that God's people will be established. You see, Moses' prayer in verses 11 through 13 was after God told him what the people had done. But before he went down and saw it for himself, after he saw how bad things really were, the Bible says this, that he goes back up to the mountain. Look at that. I think it was in verse 30. Yeah, it came about on the next day. Moses said to the people, you yourselves have committed a great sin. Now I'm going to go up to the Lord, and perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So after he spent that day and he busted the Ten Commandments, we know what happens, right? He goes up for another 40 days, and he gets to write in the stone. God said, you broke him. You fix him. The first time he wrote in him, the second time Moses wrote him. Okay? And, and then he prays in verses 31 and 32, and it says this, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has committed a great sin, and they've made a God of gold for themselves. But now, if thou wilt forgive the sin, but if not, then blot me out from your book, which has been written. That's huge. He's given up his eternal life for the people God gave him. What does the Bible say? Greater love has no man than this, that a man will lay down his life for his friends. That is an amazing prayer. Similar to what Paul prayed in Romans 9. I won't go there, but Paul just simply said, I would, be, I, I, would, I would rather be called accursed if it would result for salvation for Israel. And listen, Moses wanted so badly for God's will to be established for his people that he was willing to sacrifice himself. That sounds a, a lot like Jesus. The last point. I'm going to close with this one. Oh, this is a tough one, especially in our society today. To avoid spiritual compromise, God's people need strong leaders who will exercise necessary spiritual discipline. Moses, as we said, cared so much for these people that he was willing to be blotted out of God's book if that's what it took for them to be restored. And yet at the same time, he was the righteous, he had righteous indignation that came up in him when he sees this sin and he smashes these stone tablets and it signified literally that Israel had broken God's covenant because that's what those stone tablets were, was the Ten Commandments. Then he burns the calf, he grinds it to powder, and he makes the Israelites drink it. And this showed that the man-made calf had not led Israel out of Egypt. What it did is it showed the people 
you've got to suffer the consequences of your sin. And then he confronts Aaron with this challenge in verse 26. He says, whoever's for the Lord, come to me. Do you, do you see the discipline going on? There are two sides. The Lord's side, that's who they were choosing, and the devil's side. Spiritual compromise, church, puts us against the Lord. And when we have fallen into compromise, the way back is to repent. Would you say that word? Repent. There is a word picture. I'm going to give it to you in a living word picture right now. This is literally what repent means. You're walking this way. You're doing these things. And God confronts you with that sin. And here's what happened. He said, those of you that are on the Lord's side, come over here. And this is what repent means. It means to turn around. You make a decision. This is repentance. I was walking that way. And I choose to walk this way. And guess what? Every step this way is one step further from that way. The Bible says, draw near to God. And what's God going to do? Draw near to you. Isaiah 59, 2, on the contrary, says, your sins have separated me from you. Well, Lord, how can that be? How can that wall be taken down? Turn around and come to me. That means you forsake what you were doing. So if you're not walking that way, you're not going to live that way anymore. If you're living in lies, you're not going to be telling lies anymore. If you're living in illicit uh, uh, relationships, you're not going to be living in illicit relationships anymore. If you're drinking and you're drunk, drunk to drunkenness, you're not doing that anymore. If you're addicted to this, you're, let God take that addiction away. Amen? Now, thankfully, church, we are not, we are not called to the drastic disciplining that happened here where you're called to kill your brother. Aren't you grateful for that? The cross does that work for you. That's the only place that can kill sin is the blood of Jesus. That's why the devil's running from the blood. He knows that's the thing that defeats him. So if we, if we, if we fail to exercise discipline, and here's what discipline is, Paul tells Timothy to preach the word in season and out of season. What is my message supposed to be? What is it supposed to be? Just what I want to tell you? Just what you want to hear? Oh, no, we're both going to be in trouble if that happens. How many of you got kids, have had kids, and they just want to, you to tell them what they want to hear? That's, that's, you know, that's the fuzzy blanket relationship with God where you can be made to think everything is good and comfortable with God, and yet you can be doing something that is in direct violation to God. And he knows our hearts. 
Moses' death on behalf of Israel could not have atoned for their sins because Moses had sins of his own. Can I let you in on a little secret? Moses had an anger problem. He killed a a man at the age of 40. He ran, and he was in the backside of a desert for another 40, 80 years. At the age of 80, he delivers the children of Israel by God's power out of Egypt. But right here, we see a problem. Yes, he's righteously angered. But at the end, when you read the end of Moses' story, He tells, God tells Moses to speak to the rock. And Moses is so angry with the people that he takes his rod and he smacks it twice. He's like, basically, David Drew translation, you stiff-necked, unbelieving people, when are you ever going to get it through your thick skulls? This is the way God wants it done. But because you want it done this way, drink your water. That's my translation of what happened. And do you know what? Because of that, he didn't make it into the promised land. He only got to see it. He had his own issues. That reminds us to look unto ourselves. And I shared this with you. Next week if I get to conclude this message next week, I'm going to share a message with you, and it's going to talk about this scripture. Take caution in yourself when you think you stand, lest you fall. Compromise can happen to any one of us. We can see this with the very brother of Moses. And so my my words to us today, God's words to us today, is don't compromise. Easier said than done, but possible. Because if you will draw near to him in his ways and stay in his word, you'll know what's right and wrong. Amen? Would you stand with me today? Lord, we sense the enormity of what we have learned these past two weeks and what we are learning about compromise. Father, we pray that your zeal, just like Jesus, Where the zeal of God consumed you, let the zeal of God consume us. Which, meaning that your ways, what you desire, is uppermost in our heart. And we are passionate about causing that to happen. In the midst of it, Lord, we pray that you would keep us tempered by your Holy Spirit just as we see that Moses 
wanted the righteous ways, he still had things within himself that needed your complete help. And Lord, we just submit ourselves to you today. We want to walk in your truth. We want to walk in your peace. We want to walk with you, Lord, uncompromisingly. And we ask you, Lord Jesus, to strengthen us to accomplish that. By the power of Jesus Christ that lives in us, we pray. So, Lord, as we go our way this week, keep our mind attuned and our heart attuned to your ways and your truth. Lord, if we fail, help us willingly, readily admit it and repent and walk the other way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I pray you got something out of that today and that you walk closer to Jesus this week than ever before. Love you guys. God bless you. See you next Sunday.